welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher. I am once again joined by Tom and Floyd. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? I'm just groovy, man. Excellent. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that word, Tom. Yes. Uh, I started watching the old uh, 19, I think about 1968 Mod Squad. <laughs> yes, I saw that you've been watching that recently. I've never watched that show before. I don't think that made the syndication round or something like all the other, you know, 60s and 70s cop shows and stuff did. Yeah, yeah I can honestly say I've met, I haven't seen that at all. So I was just, it came up in conversation. I think I've maybe heard about it. Someone mentioned it on uh, another podcast, maybe, which is where I get almost 90% of the things I end up, you know, rabbit holes I end up going down. <laughs> and I like, you know what? I kind of like to finally see that. So I got one of the DVD sets from the library. I'm loving it. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's probably, I mean, I'm going to say it's not good, but it's that kind of like not good that you just enjoy the hell out of. The melodrama that they shoehorn in to some of the scenes is is hilarious. But you just sit there, I'm just eating it up. Give you an example, the two guy uh, Link and uh, the other guy uh, Paul. Maybe is I don't I don't know all their names yet. They're at it's kind of like a stakeout, and the one the guy mentions that um, oh the wait you wait better than I do, and Link's telling him like what what He's like waiting you you do better than I do. It's like, and all of a sudden the music swells kind of thing. It's like I grew up in four bedroom house, fifteen people waited on everything. Food, the bathroom, I can wait. And, 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 you know, in the background, literally violins are playing. (laughs) It's hilarious. So so the cheese factor is pretty high. Oh, absolutely. And I absolutely love it. It's fantastic. I'm I'm having a ball with these things. I'm only three, four episodes in, and I'm just like, this is awesome. So I will definitely be continuing my Mod Squad watch as long as I can find the DVDs. So you're saying on a scale of 1 to 10, it's Gouda? <laughs> oh, that was terrible. You are welcome for that great cheese joke. <laughs> uh, well, I can tell you that with Mod Squad that um, I'm going to show my age here, but um, I remember remember it when it was on TV. Oh, and the first time air? Yeah. I don't remember much about it because I was very young at the time. At least and- 20. but i remember my parents watching it and i remember i remember the i don't remember much about it but i do remember some of the characters and link and and that because i was um 
I was born in 63, so. Okay, yeah. Quite young still. Oh, yeah, yeah, very. Born, but, but I was around yeah. when, it, when it aired. And, and I, I will fully admit that I've already begun my, my Peggy Limpton crush. <laughs> she is adorable. She's just absolutely adorable. I can see why she was uh, so well loved in the show. Cause it's like, yeah, she's just she has that personality. She's got the real pretty doe eyes and the the freckles and the blonde hair, and you're just like, aw. <laughs> yeah, she goes undercover and try. You know, she has to like ingratiate herself on some crook, and you're thinking, yeah, I can see why someone would just. I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> We've all followed the pretty girl without knowing really why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what have you guys been up to? Floyd, you were talking about a little something right before we started recording. Yeah, I stopped in at uh, Target today and, and just looked at their board game section, which they actually have a lot of good ones that you, know, that you wouldn't, t- wouldn't typically find at a department store, but department stores are getting better at that. But they had uh, one that made me think of you, Chris. Godzilla. Oh, nice! Godzilla the yeah. a board the board game. Yeah, a board game with uh, miniatures. Oh, yeah, and uh, and little three uh, D uh, building pieces and whatnot. Nice. Now this isn't like yeah. one of those Monopoly sets or anything, is it? No, 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 no. It's it's a uh, no. It's a board game. Yeah. Nice. And, I'll have to look and out it for looks, that. And it looks like it was actually a. Um, I didn't look at it too closely, but it had. Uh, Japanese uh, characters on it, so I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it was originally made in Japan. Now it's been translated to English. I'm not sure on that, but uh, but I don't. I flipped it over and looked on the back. It looked pretty cool. Oh, I've pulled it up while he's been talking. Oh. Uh, you'll be happy to know uh, there is a Mothra miniature de- yes, that there is in there. Yep. Kind of have to. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, no, I'll thank you for mentioning that. I'll have to yeah. look that up and uh, have to keep an eye out for it. I'm just it glad it's not one of those Monopoly sets. The Monopoly keeps coming up with oh, all yeah. these different yeah. sets. Definitely not that, yeah. And it's That's like a- someone, I forget what the last one that brought up, I, I just commented, it's like, it'll just be yet another Monopoly set that I don't play. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I've got three of them in the house, and we don't play it. Uh, the, it retails for $35, which I thought was a really good price. Um, considering you know, for a board game, especially one of the miniatures, so I thought that was a pretty good price. Yeah, no, that's not bad. It's still it's thirty five dollars for something. I'll probably not play that. It'll probably be something I'll put up on a shelf <laughs> and, and and display. Oh, something I don't you're know. Hoping you could coax Ben into, and probably won't. <laughs> Maybe I'll come over. I'll come over and play it with you. That's true. I know. I I got you. I got Barry. I got lots of people I know that yeah, like yeah. playing the board games and stuff. I. Yep. There's no excuse for me not to play it, I guess. That's right. <laughs> Tom, you been up to anything interesting? Uh, well, I, I, I'm going to refute a, a little something that uh, you had put out there about the whole uh, um, that Star Trek Lower Decks. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, I, I, I am uh, solidly a Trekkie, so I'll give just about anything a fair shake. But uh, I was pleasantly surprised at how entertaining how funny this was how well-rounded um it's clearly the uh the showrunner and and crew are very much wanting to do a very good job of putting you in a follow-up tng style series that is just about 
your regular crew members, the ones that have to get the job done and how they might gripe, gripe about their bosses, about how um, they may re react in certain situations. And it's kind of like if you took, what if the next generation was a real world and you made a sitcom? <laughs> okay. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I was not expecting it to be quite as entertaining, but I had a few. Uh, you you have to be familiar with the material, mm -hmm. uh, but um, there there are some solid laugh out loud kind of moments in it. Um, so I, I I encourage you to give that a shot the next time you have a a free run at uh, CBS All Access. All right. Oh, fair enough. So you're telling me that the trailer is just really, really bad. The trailer is not <laughs> a fair representation of the show. All right. Uh, I, I, on it, honestly, uh, the best parts of it were not in the trailer at all. All right. Cool. So it was picking on most of the Star Trek cliches in the in the trailer, and I'm not going to say that some of those aren't there, but. It, it pulls together in a nicely told story with lots of little uh, little bits that don't have to be just straight Star Trek. It's just fun. And I really enjoy how these particular characters, um, while they're supposed to be caricatures and, and, and silly and fun, um, they didn't make them goofy. If they're going to be in Starfleet, these are smart people. They are skilled people. These are just young. They're young. They're fresh out of the academy. These are their first missions, um, and they're not respected because they're the, they're the they're the lower decks people. They're the ones that just get the job done because we told you to do it. So, and it's fun to see uh, the point of view from there as opposed to the bridge crew, the hero crew. Uh, it's not quite the same. Not to mention, this is a ship that's this isn't your. This isn't your frontline ship. <laughs> this is this is the people that come in after the fact and clean up or do follow up things, and it, it, it's fun. You know, you should give it a shot. All right, fair enough. Thanks for the recommendation. I mm -hmm. I will probably. I mean, I probably would have anyway. Just if nothing right. else, out of morbid curiosity. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and anyone listening, please get a, uh, tell us, uh, get on a, get, either get on my side, take the contrary thing. Love to hear what others are, are thinking and feeling about the show. It's, it, it, it could be a little polarizing, but I think it's worth a shot. All right. Well, I got a couple news stories I wanted to mention. Uh, this one came up uh, recently, and it's funny that you know we just covered uh, the Beastmaster just what about a month ago I or know, two ago. I know. I saw this. Yeah. The original director and screen and uh, co-writer uh, uh, Don Coscarelli is looking for the the original negative of this film. There is planned a uh, I guess Beastmaster is coming to Blu-ray is what this means, and they want to remaster it from the best possible source, and so they're looking for the original 35 millimeter negative, which has been lost. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Uh, apparently, the person who owned it, they had it. He put it in a vault at, at his home or something. Then he yeah. sold the house, and he doesn't know where it went. Ooh. So, <laughs> Coscarelli has set up, set up a website called whereisthebeastmaster.com, and he's enlisting the aid of anyone that can help locate the film. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's, there's a plan B if they can't find it, 
but they really want this film negative because they said the sure. 35 millimeter is just there's it can hold so much information that if you're going to do a big remastering this is what you want to have right so. nice uh, I, I think it's so funny that this film that did absolutely nothing in you know really nothing in the box office and just became right. this weird ass you know cable fodder because there was nothing else on and now we're getting we're probably going to get like a big 4k restoration <laughs> of the Beastmaster. Well, I just find it's reassuring that people are out there listening to us and getting new interest. That's right. <laughs> Obviously Coscarelli heard us and went, man, I, I, I really yes. need to get that out on Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't see it any other way. Now the other uh, new story I have, uh, because we're, you know, we're talking about the uh, Kurt Russell films. We're not actually going to cover this uh, this film in this particular in this current run, but uh, of course Kurt Russell starred in The Thing, which probably one of his most well known uh, films. Well, apparently John Carpenter is in early development with Blumhouse to make a The Thing reboot. Okay, so again, kind of throwing out any prequel, sequels, remakes, whatever you want to call. Uh, the what, 2018 or 2019, whatever that was. Was it even sooner? The last film. <laughs> yeah. Which I never got around to seeing because someone, everyone pretty much told me I already saw it. <laughs> if you've seen the thing, you've seen the thing. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, early development, he was at a uh, a film festival. It was doing a Q&A. And they were talking to him, and he mentioned that he was involved with this. And I guess it's been confirmed since yeah. then that they're in early development. You know, again, that doesn't mean necessarily that it's really going to happen. But it's interesting that the original director is involved in this. How how different is he going to do it? You know, how right. many things did he walk away from the last one going, I wish I had done this, that he could apply to this next round? Right. That might be curious. Very few reboots that I can think of actually have any of the original people behind them. Very true. So I saw the thing at on its first run in my local drive in theater. That'd be a great drive in film. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I can honestly say I don't think I've seen the thing all the way through. Oh really? Yes, I, I, I've never, because uh, it's one of those, it's been on TV so many times, and I always come in at a different part, mm. um, so I've never gotten around to sitting down and watching the whole thing all the way through, because I got the gist. Yeah, <laughs> you may have seen it all, just not in linear order. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so uh, uh, if he wants to remake it, uh, I've got that opportunity, I've got... <laughs> and, and then, of course, uh, yeah. At some point, I should revisit that, and maybe we need to add that to the list sometime. Yeah, no, we probably should. It's actually a film that I've seen a couple times, but I'll admit it's not a film. It's an odd one for me. The effects in the film, which again, all practical uh, visual effects, you know, with all yeah. the creatures and everything like that. It's almost a little too real that it's to the point of like almost uncomfortable for me to watch. You know, <laughs> the the body horror thing really isn't my jam. 
Right. <laughs> and there are many moments in that where I do find myself kind of wanting to do the, you know, I'm just going to watch that. You know, I'm watching just with my eyes closed, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I am a guy, while, while not so much the body horror, but the practical effect. Um, I am... I can watch a movie that might horrify me and just be totally in love with the fact that it horrified me, that it effectively made me believe I am seeing what I'm what they want me to think I'm seeing. So now now you've got me even more curious. I'm going to have to watch it, whether or not we talk about it or not. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's why that's why I like the thing is is because I'm not into a lot of gore and blood and everything but because of those fantastic practical effects i enjoy watching that film because i i was like marveling at wow they did this with no cgi mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's all practical effects and and um, i'm just blown away by it i enjoy watching it from that standpoint so if you guys do the thing i definitely want in on it <laughs> well i was thinking if nothing else tom we will definitely add it into our list of 31 nights of halloween I'm on board. I with think that. that would be the place okay. to put it, and uh, so we'll at least watch it. And uh, that one will definitely be a little bit more discussion when we go when we go through our lists. Sure. That's all the news stories I had. Has anything else come up in your worlds that you've seen? I haven't seen a whole much, whole lot of stuff popping up. I did see that they were talking about CW is going to do a live action Powerpuff Girls series. Live action Powerpuff? Yeah. I hadn't seen that. That would be interesting. They're going to take this thing. They're going to be like, you know, 20-somethings. And apparently they are going to feel a little annoyed that their childhood was kind of robbed from them because they were fighting crime all the time. But now (laughs) the world needs them again. And so will they reunite? The the premise sounds actually really, really bad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) really does <laughs> i yeah. mean that 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 was just a a silly cartoon for the joy of it and it actually uh i have i've seen the the series it was a lot of fun it actually um, was um but i can't see turning it into a 20 something drama <laughs> i think yeah no I, I think it would actually be fun if they could have kept the same humor that the original cartoon had mm-hmm I think that would be kind of fun to see. Uh, I don't think more than like a short, maybe 12 episode season kind of thing. I don't think right. you could drag it out. <laughs> yeah. It turned into a 20 something angsty young adult drama just sounds awful. Especially because if you think about the cartoons, they loved fighting crime. This wasn't like something they were made to do. They're always upset when, you know, a professor grounded them and, you know, said that he had to get up early for school and stuff and wouldn't let him go fight crime. So how do you, how do you spin that? It's funny that you use the term made to do when in actuality, they were literally made to do, <laughs> to do that. Good, good point. They were an experiment. Um, but um, yeah, no, that sounds like a very odd premise. And before we get out of a uh, news cycle, uh, there is uh, something uh, we we honestly didn't touch on any of this. Uh, DC had that thing they called the Fandom this oh, past oh, weekend. Oh, yes. I did want to mention mm. the trailers that came out. 
Yes, yes. So, yeah, go go ahead. We'll go with whatever order of them that you'd like to talk about. Okay, well, we got to talk about the Batman trailer. Yes. Because that's probably the biggest one that came out. I don't know. I'll be I'll, ah. be, I'll be perfectly honest. <laughs> you I still don't there for a second. I know. I, I still don't know where I sit. Um, right. I think it could be really cool, but it could be really bad. I mean, I, I'm still right on that fence where I'm just I'm looking at both sides and kind of like I hope it's not that side. I really hope it's on this side. <laughs> <laughs> I read an interesting follow-up to that. Somebody with a fan theory, though. Uh, they they picked apart that trailer left and right and actually came back with It's Not Bruce. Really? Yes. They, they came back and they had a laundry list of things and they were mentioning, like, there's a scene with, the, with Catwoman um, in what looks like a, um, a totally uh, falling apart mansion. Um, that uh, the car the car is more reminiscent of more of a Nightwing or a, or a Robin, uh, like the Red Robin stuff. Uh, it, they were very much describing and it sound uh, and the, the notion of uh, the lies, the, the theme of lying throughout the trailer. Um, they kept pointing to whoever the the, the primary villain is is, uh, is pointing out that maybe this is not the Batman and it's not the original. Um, hmm. I honestly, while I doubt that that's the way that it would go, because honestly, that would be amazing. <laughs> that yeah. would be a hell of a twist. But the show, or, uh, I think I saw something uh, where the director mentioned that this is supposed to take place solidly in like year two of Batman. Okay. Like this is his, he's got he's got his rhythm and this is his second year really kind of getting into it. Yeah, I think the uh the villains that you see in the film you definitely see a Catwoman. Uh the main villain is supposed to be the Riddler, but a Riddler unlike we've ever seen before. Right. And supposedly there's even hints at uh the penguin. Oh, well, there's no hint. It's Colin Farrell is playing the penguin. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I yeah, stand it, corrected. <laughs> sorry, uh, but that, that wasn't even a secret. It's just that he got a little brief uh, appearance in the trailer because uh, uh, he's all bloated and stuff. Right. <laughs> it's not the usual Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest takeaway from the trailer is it, it's finally acknowledging that Batman uses eye black. Yes. Yes. No. Uh, well, while I don't know if I cared for the emo feel of that moment, yes. <laughs> his hair all disheveled, the black eyeliner everywhere. Right. But yes, while while both Keaton, uh, all of them, Keaton, Bale, Affleck, uh, Clooney, Kilmer, they all wore the eye black. But whenever they took the cowl off, it was instantly gone. Yes. <laughs> and this one at least acknowledges that that's that's actually there. <laughs> Matt, on uh, when the trailer came out, he acknowledges like he, he's glad he, that they finally are acknowledging that they that he's using some sort of makeup. Right? <laughs> so like, would it, would it kill him to actually just give Batman the the white eyes? Don't even have to give a reason or an explanation, but just have the cow with just the white eyes. Well, that was the thing I did like. I really kind of ate it up a lot uh, in when um, the Chris Nolan films in. Uh, the Dark Knight, the Joker one. Uh, toward the end, uh, he had these uh, 
these night vision, the sonar vision in his cowl. And when those came down, they were white. Yeah. Uh, so I, I liked that at that moment, at least, Hey, they actually gave him his white eyes. <laughs> I just, I always go back to the animated series. Yeah. And he just had nothing but just white holes in his face and the amount of emotion and feeling that you could get just from watching those white slits open, close or squint. It's kind of like, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah, no, but they were very effective. It's still make... a high bar. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, the other big trailer I saw was the Woman Wonder Woman 1984, mm-hmm. which I think is going to look as much fun as the first one. Yes. I mean, in many ways, maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe that's going to be, oh, it's a rehash of the first one. Uh, but you know what? I enjoyed the first one so much, I don't care. Right. <laughs> as long as, uh, like, I didn't watch it well enough to pick out why Steve Trevor is back. But um, as long as they don't do that in a way that totally pulls you back out of it, um, mm-hmm. um, I'm good. Yeah, no, it looked like a lot of fun. The only thing I can think of is early on in the trailer, there's a villain or somebody who is talking about that he can give everybody yes. what, the, mo- the most the thing they desire most or something like that. And that's the only thing I can think of is somehow that's how Steve Trevor shows back up. I, I, I do recall that, which may also be how he disappears back out, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm going to say in the end, she's probably going to have to say goodbye to him again. Right. Well, and if you're to fill it out with the, the rest of the line of uh, things, like they have to do something about Steve Trevor because part of her driver for not being out in the scene is the aftermath of that. So when uh, they have to resolve that because a couple decades later when she joins the Justice League, there has to be a reason she's still kind of moody. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of still glad he's back because I think the two of them play off each other really well. I think they have great chemistry, even though I may not be crazy about whatever reason they give for him being back. It's still kind of like kind of (laughs) cool that the two actors get to play off each other again. Yeah, no, that'll be a lot of fun. But the big villain for Wonder Woman is the cheetah. Mm -hmm. I think that's very cool. And Kristen Wiig is the cheetah. Yeah. Uh, that will be very interesting. I mean, not that she hasn't done drama, but I mean, I've never really pictured her in the supervillain role. Right. <laughs> no. So yeah, it just it looks really cool. I've I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. No. I, uh, that that one will be a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if you caught much of the uh, like I didn't see like the full thing, but I was watching the lineup roll by of um, the next Suicide Squad. Yeah, I haven't. I did not see any of that. There, uh, there is an insane cast of characters that are going to be in there, and the people who are playing them. Like you're getting Nathan Fillion, Idris Elba. Uh, <laughs> uh, the list goes on because I, I, I missed more than there was, uh, but they're pulling out some crazy characters too. Like one of them is the Polka Dot Man. <laughs> <laughs> Talking like D-list comic villain kind of thing? Absolutely. Uh, You're going to get a uh, movie screen version of um, uh, King Shark. (laughs) You know, the guy with the shark head. Of course, right. (laughs) 
like and the notion that uh, well at least the the teasers are all around um, it sounds like their mission is to kill the Justice League okay so that means you're more than likely to get the 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 Justice League actors in there as well crazy yeah so this would be insane I guess I need to get back and actually watch Suicide Squad I still haven't caught that I have um the Harley Quinn film, which I haven't gotten around to either. That's, yeah, I haven't gotten around list. to watching that one yet. Guess I'll have to catch up for this next one she rolls around. Yeah, and then um, and not that we're trying to drag out the uh, news here, but DC Fandom was throwing a lot out there, um, and I wasn't even trying that hard to keep up. There was just so much. Uh, but like the uh, there's the Zack Snyder cut of oh, uh, right of Justice League and admittedly whatever little bits of that that i managed to catch it almost looks like a different film altogether okay interesting which, which would be a good thing yeah no absolutely i would so, watch that film again if the you know new cut came out I, I would watch that film again and on hbo max if i heard correctly they're looking to show it as a uh a four one hour parts hmm interesting yeah make it, so make it kind of a long form serial <laughs> yes yes but i mean the notion that there's four hours worth of uh justice league and i don't know if it's a good thing <laughs> if they if they break it up into hours though we need somebody that goes in the meanwhile <laughs> <laughs> you kind of beat me to that <laughs> all right well we should probably go ahead and leave the news uh let's go ahead and play a break or Let's go ahead and take a break and play a promo for another show. And when we get back, we're going to look at... I don't even know what year this came out. 86? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yes, 1986. Oh, I got to run for it. When we come back, we're going to take a look at 1986's Big Trouble in Little China. Are you looking for some great indie podcasts to listen to? Check out the Pod Nation list on podchaser.com, where you can find a list of great indie podcasts, get links to their official websites, and even listen to some of their episodes without needing to create an account or log in. Here's an example of one of the great indie podcasts you can find on Pod Nation. Hello, everybody. I'm Ross from What's the Crack? And I'm Rock. And this is our podcast, I Understood That Reference. We cover all corners of the pop culture spectrum, including movies, comics, which is my favorite, games, and everything in between. With our own unique mix of games, trivia, a little insight, all wrapped up in Irish accents. And of course, the tin whistle. <laughs> so get up them stairs and download this podcast into your ears. I'm Ross. And I'm Rob. And this has been I Understood That Reference. Available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podchaser, and whenever else decent podcasts are available. Yay! So once again, for some great indie podcasts, check out the Pod Nation list on Podchaser.com. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here. And a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. 
There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. Ow! They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He make one move. And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. How are you going to spring us? I have no idea. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. <clears throat> My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. Oh, God, is this really happening? This is gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. One, two, three. We may be trapped. Total concentration. Safety. Oh, yeah. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Way to go, Jack. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's all in the reflexes. Over the road truck driver Jack Burton makes what starts out as an ordinary stop in San Francisco's Chinatown. Meeting up with his friend and gaming pal Wang, and after a night of spirited games and gambling, Wang ends up owing Jack big. On their way to get the money, they witness Wang's fiance, the green-eyed Chinese girl Miao Yen, kidnapped. Before they know it, they find themselves embroiled in a centuries-old battle between good and evil. The evil sorcerer Lopan needs the green-eyed girl to release him from a thousand-year-old curse. It's up to Jack, Wang, Wang's uncle, Egg Shen, and another green-eyed beauty named Gracie to fight Lopan and his elemental soldiers to save Chinatown and possibly the world. If you're worried, just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earth quakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack Burton just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and says, Give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. It seems like every time I, I look and talk about a John Carpenter film, I find out that in the theater, the films just don't do that well. Yeah. This thing was estimated for anything from 19 to $25 million budget, and it only grossed about $11 million here in the North America. That baffles my mind. <laughs> yeah. Especially this film. This is a popcorn film. This yeah. is the this is the reason you go to a theater. Kurt Russell and John Carpenter and you know everyone involved, they went to test screenings and everything. Everything went really well and they thought, oh, this is gonna be a hit. 
and they were actually a little surprised that it didn't do well in the theaters. But they think a lot of that was because the studio honestly did not know how to market this film because it was just a real outsider. It was not your typical action film. Uh, Kurt Russell is, he's the hero, but he's not really the hero. He's almost more sidekick. Yeah. Uh, You've got all the, the magic and the mysticism, but then it's a lot of comedy, but then you got all this action so, yeah, the studio really didn't know what to do with it. And, unfortunately, it also came about the same time Aliens premiered. Oh. <laughs> and yeah. that had a lot of hype going on. That was filling all the TV and all the airtime. I think Aliens premiered just a few weeks after this one. But it was close enough that there was all the hype building up for it. And so this thing just, I think it just got swallowed up with bad marketing and a, a really big film coming down the pike. Hollywood's always struggled with uh, the a film that doesn't fit in a single niche. Like they'd struggle to promote life. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't know. Hey, is it comedy? Is it drama? Is it <laughs> yes? <laughs> is there action? I I just I don't know where to go with this. So. <laughs> I could totally buy that being part of the problem in this. Uh, That's why I really liked this film because it didn't fit a particular genre or niche. It was a, it was started off one way and kind of morphed into something else. And, and uh, I found it very refreshing. This is definitely a movie that if you didn't know anything about it, you would have no idea what it is when you sat down in front of it and you'd be watching the whole time going, uh, is this like just like a buddy cop show? <laughs> <laughs> is this like one of these movies? Hey, cops um, have better thing to do than get killed. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is another film that I think benefits from the fact that it came out in the mid '80s, right before and right right when the home video market began to blossom. This was definitely a film that was going to be on the home video shelf. Uh, you know those little mom and pop rental stores, and then eventually, you know, the blockbusters and the home video, uh, home video places and stuff, and or family video. This is another one where uh, uh, cable TV uh, comes in handy too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly where I got to see this film for the first time is uh, watching it on TV and falling in love with it as I did. Right. It's an insanely watchable and insanely quotable. <laughs> that there was no way in hell this was not going to become a cult classic. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and through all of that, it, it's still fairly nonsensical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I, I did read, you know, I was looking up some of the, uh, trying to find out what, what critics said at the time. Mm-hmm. And almost every one of them commented in one way or another about the you're not going to understand what's going on don't worry about it (laughs) well yeah but i mean getting into that uh and again it is the charm of the movie it's the you start off with this uh butch truck driver strolling into town he he's dropping his load he's hanging out in chinatown uh he's having a good time with his buddy 
somehow that turns into his buddy owes him way too much money and they're going to go pick his girlfriend up at the airport. That turns into an abduction that takes them <laughs> back to Chinatown where all of a sudden there's a street fight where a giant cloud of superhuman <laughs> things come out of it. I'm like, what the hell, man? <laughs> <laughs> And somewhere there's a big, ugly, orange, orangutan-looking monster. <laughs> yeah. Because there, sh- because there is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No explanation. It's just there. Trust me. <laughs> and everyone treats it like, it. yep, that's just there. <laughs> well, I, I think that the, the whole charm of the film is that with Jack Burton, you know, he has no clue. He just was thrust in the middle of this. He's just going along with it, taking it as it comes, going along for the ride, and that's what we're invited to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, we're definitely the Jack... We are all the Jack Burtons. Yes. Uh, maybe with maybe he's got a little bit more bravado than most <laughs> of us would actually. <laughs> right, but yes, you you hit it on the head. He's our reason to be in the middle of this story. Uh because we wouldn't know what the hell's going on. We wouldn't be there in the first place. He is our gateway, and we're just riding along with him. Just sit, sit there on his shoulders, relax. Jack Burton's got this. Uh, <laughs> but he has almost nothing to do with everything that is going on. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I think that's what's so much fun is, like I was saying, he's not really the hero. Right. And he does kind of help, he kind of does save the day in the end, but for the most part, he just kind of bumbles his way through it. (laughs) Everyone else around him is the brains, and honestly, the brawn. (laughs) He's the comic relief. (laughs) And that really comes to to the forefront when uh, when he shoots out the ceiling and the rocks fall knock him out. Yeah, he mi- he misses like the first half of the fight, <laughs> or the uh, the first fight in the warehouse when he flings his knife. Oh yeah, <laughs> he has to go get it, and by the time he gets back, Wang's already taken care of everything, and it's all good. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, no, this was so much fun though. I mean, it doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> no, no, it no. doesn't. No. <laughs> Like I said, you just, you just go for long, long for the ride. You know, I appreciate a movie where you can watch the whole thing, you can have fun with it. And then at the end of it, you don't have a tidy explanation like what happened, you know. And he just tries to go back to his life, you know. And but, uh, but I, I appreciate that. You know, I don't have, need to have it all in a nice bow. Yeah, no. How do you like that? This film actually ends unlike any other film like this. There's the whole love interest thing between him <laughs> and uh, Kim Cattrall's character, Gracie. In the end, he's like, ah, people usually just get tired of me, so I'll catch you later. And he leaves. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I liked how they uh, they they did it, too. Um, when he, he's asked, aren't you going to kiss her goodbye? Yeah, and, and he looks at her dead in the eye, and he goes, "No," <laughs> and he walks, <laughs> walks out the door. But it, in that, it, it's uh, and here's how I took it. Tell me if you feel different. But as he's doing that, he isn't kissing, gonna kiss her goodbye because it's not goodbye. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think that's what 
I think that's what they're shooting for with that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the impression I got, too. Well, I think that's what he was shooting for. Jack Burton's the kind of guy that I'm thinking, he's going to go, no, nah, I'm not going to kiss her goodbye. And he, he leaves ex- fully expecting her to be there for him when he com- next time he comes back to San Francisco. Right. Which could be months <laughs> later. And he finds out that she's, like, married. <laughs> <laughs> well, you almost kind of want to see that version because you want to see the Kim <laughs> Cattrall character go, what the hell, man? <laughs> <laughs> you left. <laughs> you I offered to come with you. You didn't want me. (laughs) (laughs) And you've been gone for six months. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So we got to talk about the cast of this film. The cast is actually another reason, unfortunately, that in 1986, I think the studio probably had a hard time with the marketing and trying to sell this film because they weren't confident with it because there is like, what, three uh, white actors in the entire cast. Everyone else yeah. is of Asian descent. Right. Which I mean, I'm insulted that that's a thing, but I can see in 1986 that that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I said, it's not, a, it's not good that that this was, that was the case, but I think that probably had something to do with it as well. Uh, yes. Kurt Russell is in this as Kurt Russell as John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> It's like John Wayne's kid brother or something uh, strutting his way through this film. What can you say? I mean, it is, it's like if you took his whole career or whatever, this was like his big, uh, I don't know what you call it. This is like his big comic relief moment mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that he hasn't done other comedies or, or anything. This is just kind of like, I'm just going to come in here and I'm just going to have a ball. Yeah. And this this is a fun script. This is a fun part. I'm just going to have fun. That's what you feel like watching Kurt Russell in this. Absolutely, yes. Then we got uh, Kim Cattrall. You forget how beautiful that woman yeah. was yeah, yeah. in 1986. Yeah. <laughs> the first time you see her like in the airport, it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, I remember crushing hard in the 80s on Kim Cattrall. Yeah. <laughs> It's the she was the only reason to watch Mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. This is very early, kind of her her career had not yet risen. Uh, she was really up and coming uh, when she does this, and then she goes on to do Mannequin. And honestly, I mean, she kind of does. She has roles, and I guess she was you know a star or whatever. But it really wasn't until like Sex in the City right. that it was like, oh, Kim Cattrall is like suddenly you know, a household name. I mean, she was in a Star Trek film <laughs> prior. <laughs> the best Star Trek film, in my opinion, uh, before she ended up landing the role in Sex in the City. She's a fantastic actress, I think. I think she she gives it her all. I think she has fun when the roles allow her to. I think she's got a great sense of humor. Tom, we got a chance to actually see her at a convention. You remember when we went to the the Mystery Science Theater convention oh, in yeah. Minneapolis? Yeah. She was a guest. All <laughs> all because Crow sang the love song to Kim Cattrall. Ah, yes. Now I remember that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Supposedly, she caught that and was so amused by it, she sent Trace Bellew flowers. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't actually know that part. That's it's what I've read. You know, take it as you will. It's internet, right? 
internet fodder, so I don't know if it's true or not. But I like I. I'm going to continue my life believing that it was. Well, you know, Kim, Kim if you're listening, uh, feel free. Come on the show. Let's have a talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she's listening. You know she is. They all listen. They all do. <laughs> Still waiting for you to get to my man. Well, I don't know if your man happens to be James Hong. My man is James Hong. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This guy... I looked on IMDb. This guy's got over 440 acting credits. Yes, he does. Between actually appearing on screen or doing voice talent work. 440. Yes, no, if you scroll through the whole thing, you'll get to the end of the internet. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. He was in the first movie kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's just an amazing uh, character actor. I've seen him. What show, what movie... Have you seen that didn't have James Hong? I think he's fantastic. <laughs> he's 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 a great low pan. He's a oh, great yeah. villain. I love his uh, even when he's the the old man low pan, <laughs> <laughs> the, the creepy pervy old man <laughs> low pan. <laughs> Boy, what a cr- way to make him look creepy too. Another actor who's allowed to just have fun in the role, and he absolutely does. I actually, I was going to throw in there with uh, G- uh, on the James Hong thing is uh, uh, there's a current thing going on. There, there's a movement to to get him a uh, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame because he doesn't. I'm have amazed one. he doesn't have one. Right? No, it's insane that he doesn't. But yes, no, uh, there there there's currently work to try to get that to happen. Um, I was uh. trying to look up the actor who's pushing hard from it. And he was a guy in the in the recent version of a. Uh, Hawaii Five O. Remember uh, a Daniel Day Kim. Thank you. That's what. That's who I was trying to remember. <laughs> yeah, because Daniel Day Kim launched a GoFundMe to go help raise the money to get him a star. Nice. I, I'm amazed he does not have one. The guy should have several. You know, one for television, one for film, or something. Um, he deserves like a lifetime achievement award somewhere. You know, hey, hey you know, Academy. Uh, hello. <laughs> well, right. Uh, I think I just saw he's 91 and he's still going. Yeah. He's still working. I'm, I'm yeah, I mean, he's a filmographer right now and it's, uh, <laughs> it's incredible. He's, uh, he's already, uh, got a film in 2021 Batman, Soul of the Dragon. Nice. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Voice work. Yeah. 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 So he's still doing voice work. So yeah, I think his actual physical appearances are probably limited, but the voice work he's still yeah. he's still doing. But you know that's okay because he's been on you know four hundred things that yeah. you can go and watch him in, uh, dating back. I think it goes back to the what forties or fifties. Fifties, uh, yeah. Fifty four is unless his first film. Actually, uh, and using this as a moment, speaking of all of his voice work and all that, but I couldn't help but laugh a little every time now that I see Big Trouble in Little China, and it's at the beginning, and uh, they're going through the the market, and all of a sudden, just for one of the things in the background, a, a giant goose just comes on the screen. That's they they put a goose from the market on on the screen, and it just it strikes me because. James Hong plays the goose in Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so so knowing this is a James Hong movie and there's the goose, I make the instant connection. To, to, 
of his character in Kung Fu Panda. You wonder, you know, he, you gotta, you kind of wonder. Yeah, you gotta wonder if maybe uh, <laughs> the creators of Kung Fu Panda maybe caught that and like, we're gonna make him the goose. Right? Why not? Yeah. Too much. Oh God. Yeah. No. I I love me some James Hong. I'm always mystified how many things he's in. Where I find him, it's insane. I think the earliest film that I know I've seen where he's appeared was a film called Destination Inner Space, and he plays the uh, like the the Chinese cook and a very terrible stereotype Chinese cook. I think that was in the nineteen nineteen sixty six. Sixty six. Okay, so there's yeah, there's another decade yeah. of film work that I ha- that I don't know that I've seen anything in, but I know I've seen that film. Actually, recommend that film. Actually, is not awful. It's kind of interesting. It has video games too. Oh well, sure. Well, the voice work goes right along with that. It's yeah. Amazing. But, I'm, I'm I'm amazed at what I'm looking at here with this. Is uh, <laughs> <laughs> what he's done is just incredible. No, in fact, uh, the thing you'll get a kick out of, Chris, is uh, uh, it was voice work again. He was in the uh, 1956 Godzilla King of the Monsters. Oh, did he voice work? Yeah, uh... he's got a credit here of uh, Ogata and Sarazawa. Interesting. So uh, apparently not on-screen appearance, but his voice uh, was in the movie. So. Curious. That's interesting. That when you get back that far, especially when you're talking about the voice work and doing the dubbings and things like that, you're kind of like, mm, maybe that's true. You know, maybe that's right. Uh, someone thought, oh, it sounded like him, so I'm going to put his credit in. You know, put him in for the credit here or something. But interesting. Uh, but I guess you could go back and actually look at the film credits. Yeah, you could, uh, and you never know. Uh, by the way, the film is cut. He may have had. He may have originally supposed to have been on screen and ended up an off-screen voice. Right. So, but, I mean, at that time, he wouldn't have, he was still very much starting any kind of... Oh, yeah, but, absolutely. But, but he's got a very uh, distinct voice. You recognize it immediately. If you don't know the actor, you know the voice kind of thing. If you all you know him is from the animated films, you still know him. You still recognize him. You'll go, oh, that's hey, that's the vo- guy that did the voice for this other character. Hey, that's the goose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he also has a very distinct appearance as well. I mean, I I love spotting him in films. Oh no, absolutely. I, I like that. <laughs> Uh, I'm still a fan of uh, The Shadow, and I, I always marvel when I catch him in it. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was in The Shadow. Uh, openings, uh, opening part of the movie um, when ah. they're in China. He's, the, he, he's, the, he's one of the guys uh, trying to sell opium uh, when uh, Alec Baldwin's character uh, is the reigning king in the area. Well, speaking of... Uh unique looks we got to talk about victor wong mm. as egg shen, egg shen. <laughs> a a john carpenter favorite uh he goes on i think i think it's after this he goes to uh, prince of darkness oh yeah which is a, a, he has a very big role in that um he's another one where i just i love seeing him he's not a name that you know right off the top of your head you have to kind of go look it up i think now that i've read it a couple times i'll, I'll know oh hey it's victor wong but you're just like, oh, it's that guy. He's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Q 
cute, cute's a word. <laughs> <laughs> you you definitely get him involved when you need a look. <laughs> Absolutely, he's apparently a, like he was an award winning uh, news journalist. Oh, really? He was a, a newscaster and journalist early in his life. He didn't get into acting until much later in his life. And it was um, it may have been because in about uh, middle age, he was struck with Bell's palsy, which is what gave him his unique kind of one side of his face, kind of gave him that the droopy look. Um, not exactly someone, I guess, in their 70s or whatever, you could really put on your 5 o'clock newscast and read the news. <laughs> I suppose not. He got into acting later, and he he even says himself, uh, casting directors like him because of his face. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you need a uh, you need someone of Asian descent that's going to know something about the mysticism or the dark arts. (laughs) You can't go wrong with Victor Wong. (laughs) (laughs) We'll forgive the rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was clever. No, another just a fun actor. I I love seeing him. He he does great in this. Uh, did y'all notice when they went to Egg Shen's garage? Did it look familiar to you guys? Uh, isn't it? Uh, isn't that the firehouse? It is. Yeah. It's the firehouse from Ghostbusters. Yes. <laughs> I thought it looked kind of familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I I, I, I fully awesome. picked up on it this time watching it too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh wow, well, yeah. No, I know where that. <laughs> I like how they described his character as being the richest guy on the block, but the, he, he drives her. He like owns most of that area, but he drives around in his little egg foo young uh, bus giving tours. tour bus. Yeah, his tour bus. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. They, they filmed, you know, they actually filmed some of the stuff in Chinatown, some of the location shooting and everything. Um, of course, but most of the, uh, the sets were studio bound. Yeah. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Chinatown is not riddled with underground throne rooms, and no, you know, no, no. Damn. Oh, I was wanting to go there and check it out. <laughs> yeah. I've been Where to Chinatown, but I didn't get a chance to get underground. So no. I knew this was going to be just kind of one of those gush fest films because I don't know. I don't know. Is there anything? bad that we can say about it is there anything like critically um that you would actually ding it for it's vapid it's nonsensical <laughs> yeah. yeah there's barely a story here <laughs> i mean you said I, that last time <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> this is true uh, maybe it's a kurt russell thing uh <laughs> The last time it really was true. And I, yeah. <laughs> it's not really fair to say that there's no story. Actually, there, there is a, a story here. It's just, it, it is kind of funny the way that Jack Burton, uh, we've already say, stated it, he's just our reason for being there. He's the white guy in the mix so that, uh, that we, the audience, can, um, the American audience, can ride along on what is essentially a very fun um, Chinese-centric story. Um, I don't know that that's wrong or right, but uh, that's what it is. Um, uh, and then I'm still gonna pick on that uh, orange orangutan thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really don't know where that came from. Why that had to be there? I think the film even kind of acknowledges that he's like the the gateway. He's kind of the outsider. <clears throat> There's that great 
moment when Wang brings his friends and his one guy looks at Bert and goes, who's this guy? <laughs> well, and I like how uh, Burton even, uh, he has a, a, a very racially charged moment in that moment because he's like, do, do any of these guys speak English? And that's the guy to come. Who is this guy? <laughs> and he says it dead perfect. So, like, don't assume. <laughs> yep. Make no assumptions. People are people, and this guy knows English better than you do, Burton. <laughs> <laughs> I love the uh, the spot where um, I think it's when uh, they see the uh, the floating head. That's uh, mm, and mm-hmm. uh, and Jack says says oh well he says something like oh god what is that oh don't don't tell me <laughs> yeah yeah Jack, <laughs> Kurt Russell throws out like. Three different lines. Yeah. It's like they they want they gave him three options, but he gave, he said all three in, yeah. uh, at once. Yeah. <laughs> the, the funny. <clears throat> th- I think it's what is that? Oh no! Don't tell me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, you're only supposed to pick one, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try them all and edit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the funny thing that floating head again, something like what. <laughs> Where did that come from? How is that a thing? Uh, interestingly enough, it, it's very reminiscent of something from Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, yeah. uh, I was just going to say. It, uh, I was trying to think. It was uh, there's a there was a name for it, and I don't remember what it was. Eye of the Beholder or something. I remember like a beholder, showing up in, like yes. the Dungeons and Dragon cartoon. But <laughs> yep, it's, it's a it's a beholder. Yep. There you it's go. a okay. beholder, and, and which is funny because then that's the the role it actually plays in the movie too. <laughs> it's there. It, yeah. it, it's it's sight. Uh, it, it's essentially a, a floating sentient camera. You're right. You're talking about, about dinging it. The only thing I would ding it for would would be the um, uh, the special effect of the expanding guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's the only yeah, thing that pops I, out to me is, is for a ding. That's one of my most memorable things, though, for, <laughs> for that movie. Especially the end, just before he explodes. Uh, the, yeah. the look on his face when it's all broad and stretched out. Yeah, I, I kind of feel it's a, it's a shame that they couldn't spend more time with the Elemental Brothers there. Um, yeah. Never really got to see them <clears throat> or what they could do, other than the guy with the lightning who could ride around on a lightning bolt and stuff like that. It would have been neat to see a little bit more. You kind of wanted this to be like an old martial arts film where everybody got like a half an hour fight scene to show off their powers or something. Uh, From what I understood too, um, like the guys that do play the elementals there, they're actually fairly big names in in China. Hmm. They they have uh, they themselves individually have uh, decent careers um, in, in Chinese theater. I want to say none of them um, looked unfamiliar to me. I, I feel like you know I've I've seen them in other probably small roles or maybe I've seen them in other martial arts films or something like that. Um, particularly. Um, the what was he? Um, Rain was that the one that uh, expanded? Uh, that Thunder? That's Thunder. Yeah, uh, Carter Wong is his name. He in particular yeah. looked really he, yeah, familiar. He, I know I've seen him in something. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, yeah, he looked familiar to me as well. He's got a uh, he's got a Rambo three credit. 
Yeah. See, that's what's funny. I look up on like IMDb, and it's like, okay, there's nothing really here, but I swear I've seen him before. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean, and I think some of that is from. Um, I know I've seen some Chinese films uh, um, outside of the the usual stuff, and I, I think I've come across a couple of these folks before. Now, I think, um, yeah, the expanding guy looks a little corny. The moments when um, Lo Pan does his little phase through the walls, I think, looks a little cartoonish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But again, it, it's 1986. Yeah. Um, Lightning, however, I think that's where all the budget went yeah. uh, is for special yeah, effects. Good, yeah. I think they actually still look really good. They do. I just wish his aim was better. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, for all of his effort, he never seemed to hit anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, it looked amazing, and it still does look amazing. But yeah, no, I, I just couldn't. At, at the ending scene, as all of the end elementals are, are slowly meeting their demise, he is coming, and he is coming down the hall, and he is struggling so hard to generate his lightning, and all he's doing is hitting the sides of the walls. And I'm like, dude, they're right in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Shoot that way. <laughs> yeah, it's such a shame that they are built up to be the, you know, these, these, these villains, these formidable foes, and they're all dispatched with almost no effort. <laughs> Drop a statue on one. Ah, oh, he's dead. Yeah. The other one just gets upset and blows himself <laughs> yeah, off. That, that, that one was crazy. Uh, but you know, uh, when, um, oh, which, which one is he? Uh, uh, rain. It's rain. Um, I can't help but love his weapons at the uh, at the beginning, which essentially looked like just a back scratchers. Oh yeah, <laughs> the twirling things. Yeah, yeah. Th- yeah. Th- Thunder's getting it, it, his uh, circular knives out, um, and lightning is busy spinning blades on his hands, and here comes rain. I've got back scratchers, and I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's a truly deadly martial arts weapon, but it looked ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as easily as they were to dispatch, it kind of fit because Lopan wound up being pretty easy to dispatch. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I, I should that problem or that you know uh, criticism could go all the way up to the top. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good knife. Yeah. Goodbye, Mister Burden. Oh, yeah. I'm dead. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's all in the Yeah. I like that because it fit his character. It fit what he did. They foreshadowed that at the beginning of the film you know, with, with the bottle. And uh, and sometimes it's refreshing not seeing a big, long-out fight scene when you know in the end the good guy is going to win. So just just let him win and could get on with the movie. <laughs> Well, and it goes along with the, uh, okay, this guy is just trying to achieve uh, mortality again. He spent <laughs> thousands of years trying to re- regain his mortality. So what does that get him in the end? He dies five minutes <laughs> after he's, he's achieved it. Good for All you, that buddy. Work. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting that they, the script actually gives itself a plot hole. With the idea that you know he he has to have a green-eyed girl, you assume would need to be a green-eyed Chinese girl, but then he f- spots Kim Cattrall's character uh, Gracie, 
who's got green eyes and not Chinese and decides that she'll do like, well, wait a minute, (laughs) thousands of years and no one let you know that there are many green eyed girls. (laughs) (laughs) You you could have gone. Any green-eyed girl could have would have done. <laughs> you could have gone to Ireland anytime you wanted. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I, I did enjoy that Burton essentially called him out on that uh, in, in the film while he's. I thought it was funny <laughs> that they're wheeling them around in wheelchairs, and here comes mm-hmm. Lopan in a wheelchair. Uh, but he, he calls him out on it right there to his face, that notion. You mean in 2,000 years you couldn't have found a girl to fit the bill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a pretty good imitation of uh, Burton there, Tom. <laughs> I think it's probably one of these films you probably have quoted the movie, even if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> or you you definitely know people who have like well you know what jack burton always said and you had that you know the blank look but you, you've you've experienced something big trouble little china ish in your life <laughs> yeah <laughs> anything in your life that comes up a little bit ridiculous but you're gonna deal with it anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think i think i think you're, you, what you could learn from this film is no matter what life throws at you, no matter how ridiculous it is, just go with it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and if you happen to hit, uh, know some small Chinese man with uh, exploding crystals, you bring him along. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't mention the, uh, the the ones. One of the scenes I loved was the uh, was the uh, Rock'em Sock'em um, um, Samurai Warriors. Remember so the light beams and the. Oh, uh, you mean uh, you mean when Egg Shen and Lo Pan play yeah. a video game in the middle oh, of battle? Oh yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> I that was great. <laughs> I loved Lo Pan when he actually he's got he's, he's got his fingers yeah, locked and he's yeah, doing his yeah, thumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got it. He's got his two long yeah, pinky yeah. nails crossed, yeah. and he's uh, he's working his thumbs like it's yeah. a controller. <laughs> That's fantastic. I think that's hilarious because you think about it, 1986, did we have controllers like that yet? No, because you would have still been on, uh, well, Nintendo maybe. Uh, Oh, you know what? I was just thinking something like uh, the ColecoVisions and stuff like that. I was thinking Atari was still kind of like the thing. Was Nintendo 86 with that? I suppose so. We did have the, the Nintendo controller then. Yeah, 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 yeah. First time I saw the film, I thought Rock'em Sock'em Robots was <laughs> the first time I saw the film. That's, that's when he was making that gesture. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's what it reminded yep. me. Yep. No, I like that. And I also love the scene when um, Wang and um, I think it was Rain where they were flying through the air side by side <laughs> in a sword fight. <laughs> they were flying through. The yes. Air. I mean, it was just so over the top. It was great. <laughs> Oh, and I think that in its way was its own homage to like the Chinese martial arts oh, yeah. films. Yeah. You know, the old the old kung fu theaters yeah. where that's that's the kind of stuff where yeah, they take a leap and they hang in air for five minutes while they go at each other, clang, clang, clang with their swords. Well, and what's best is the look on each of their faces because uh um rain rain thinks he's supernatural, rain supreme in this area, and every time they d- land a uh, well, Wang's kind of like just uh, raising his eyebrows at him, like, yeah, yeah 
I can hang with you. <laughs> well, do you want to hear what a couple critics had to say in 1986? I am dying to take a trip back to 1986 with you right now. <laughs> Roger Ebert. Ah. We all know Roger Ebert. Yep. Two stars. Boo. Ah. A couple excerpts from his review. It must have seemed like a great idea. And the first 30 minutes of the movie gave me lots of room for hope. It was fast moving. It was visually spectacular. It was exotic and lighthearted and filled with a spirit of adventure. But then gradually the movie began to recycle itself. It began to feel as if seeing the same thing more than once. After one amazing subterranean chamber had been survived and conquered, everybody fell down a chute and into another one. By the end of the movie, I was just plain weary. He goes on and says, It will be interesting to see how uh, the Chinese stereotypes in Big Trouble in Little China are received by the Asian-American spokesman who condemned last year's Year of the Dragon. This movie is straight out of the era of Charlie Chan and Fu Manchu, with no apologies and all the usual stereotypes. If they didn't like Year of the Dragon, they're sure to hate this movie. And yet, as we unveil the rehab statue of... Uh, the Rehab Statue of Liberty, and warm up for the 4th of July, it seems to me that Big Trouble in Little China is just one more example of the way every American ethnic group has been fodder for Hollywood's mill. It may not be true that Chinatowns are honey... It may not be true that Chinatown are is honeycombed with subterranean throne rooms, but isn't it kind of fun once in a while to pretend? So he liked a lot of the elements that went into the film, but he really kind of... Uh, Thought the uh, I guess he thought the parts were greater than the whole. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of sounding that's the way that went. <laughs> yeah, it is maybe a little problematic in the Chinese stereotypes. Of course, every every Chinese uh, old Chinese man knows things about you know magic and sorcery, uh, kind of thing. Or and of course they all know kung fu. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I think what's uh, well at least. If you can find a redeeming when you're following along on stereotypes is um, some of what he's talking about, like the old Charlie Chans and all that, they were were played by Caucasian actors and all that. Yeah. This was a movie that was done by a Chinese community. I mean, they they all participated in this. uh, So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that, that is something I do appreciate that while the characters are very reminiscent of maybe some of the, you know, the Fu Manchu or Charlie Chant. They are at least not yellow faced. Right. Uh, that is actually really refreshing, particularly in 1986 yeah. that you'd have this strong of a, or this big of a cast. And like I said, you got three Caucasian actors. Right. And I think yeah. that's the part that I actually kind of feel like he's, he's missed that and all that. But, well, yeah, there there's, here, here's the thing. And we've all heard this. There's a, reason that there are stereotypes these came from somewhere this is the chinese american community putting this on and uh, and sharing what is essentially silly caricatures but it's all done by them it is a chinese american cast also uh just the headline from michael willington of the la times says big trouble in little china is big trouble indeed so it was another guy who who didn't care for it but I did find, on the other side of the coin, Walter Goodman from the New York Times says, If 
as is not unlikely, you should lose track of what is going on in Big Trouble in Little China and think you've wandered into a festival of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Romancing the Stone, Star Wars, Karate Kid, Flash Gordon, and a throng of facsimiles, don't be concerned. What matters is the stunts and the spirit and this latest set of exotic exploits of an indomitable hero, Kurt Russell, and a spunky heroine, Kim Cattrall, gives good value. Big Trouble in Little China is an upscale send-up. So, he got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He could he could have maybe mentioned someone other than Kurt Russell and Kim. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> they're not the stars. They they really they, aren't, and, and, and that's kind of the part that's a little sad in all of this. And, and what I'm trying to celebrate in all of this is, I love this cast, and the the white people were the least reason. <laughs> I mean, everybody was a lot of fun. There, it was a lot of fun to to see and watch, and uh, and yeah. I mean, I don't I, I, the 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 Jack Burton, the the Kim Cattrall. If they had not been there, I'd have still enjoyed everything about that. No, no, oh, yeah. absolutely, no. This this could have been an all Asian cast. Easily, happily, and it, it it wouldn't have taken anything away from this. No, not at all. I uh, of course threw it out on social media that we were going to be watching this. Um, for the most part, all I got was lots of quotes from the film. <laughs> Shocking, <laughs> and and just a lot of uh, one lines of you know of people declaring their love for the movie. But we did get a, a couple actual comments. Evelyn Moose wrote, he says, she says, it's been too long since I've seen it for any detailed observations right now, but I will say this. I've said it to many people many times. Kurt Russell is one of the most consistent actors there is. He shows up, does the work, and doesn't phone it in, and he's done this since he was a child. Yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah absolutely. Very true. Ron Moon says it's one of his all-time favorites. Uh, Martin Cashley is, says it's still one of his favorite films. And Steve Sullivan love, love, loves this film. <laughs> also heard from Kimberly Donahue. She says, look, I'm already going to be biased just because this is a movie I grew up on. She says, also, first thing I remember seeing Kim Cattrall in. And then, of course, later, Mannequin. <laughs> Still the only reason to watch Mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that is actually all we got. We did. Uh, Twitter was even uh, less. I think it was just more of a uh, same thing, just a, a, a quote or two. And oh, I love this film. Like, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> Everybody does, uh, except apparently the critics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would actually really like to hear so- someone's take on it who doesn't care for the movie. I, I just, I would love to hear their why i guess you know why it what about it doesn't entertain them right because i just i don't know if i've met anybody that hasn't enjoyed watching this movie well and that's kind of um well i didn't read all those uh those particular um critiques of it but uh like even ebert's uh where he's finding what he finds wrong with it but i didn't hear him say he hated it I, I, I hear him saying that he was entertained by it, but that some of it let him down. He said it was it, he was bored of it by the end because he just felt like he was watching the same thing over and over again. He just felt like it was just sort of recycling itself constantly over over an hour and a half. So it bored him. 
That part I can't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> That's not. That's not. And that's that, where we. That's need. a description of every action movie, Ebert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many action movies have you given four stars and loved, and you thought it was at the edge of your seat, and it was just a good time and popcorn fought? You know, just eat your popcorn. And you're like, no, no, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any uh, any action sequence is just an excuse to get to the next action sequence. Um, exactly. But I mean, trying too hard to find fault with it. This is my favorite Kurt Russell movie. Is it? Yeah. Where? Well, where he played? Um, I guess early. I guess to say early, uh, early in his career. Man, I loved him in um, in Guardians Two. That really liked him in that. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. But uh, but. Looking back yeah. in his earlier career, this is my favorite role of his. I thought you were a sky high kind of man. <laughs> sky high? Yes. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he, uh, played, he played a superhero dad in that movie. Yeah, I've never seen that one, so <laughs> I can't comment on that. If I <laughs> We can take away is what, you know, what Evelyn said is regardless of what he's in, he's going to do his best mm-hmm. and – He's going to be try his damnedest to be entertaining, if nothing else. Yeah, soldier proved that. <laughs> exactly. You you take a film that literally has nothing, yeah. <laughs> and he's what was watchable. I mean, he made that. He does make that movie watchable. No, I, absolutely. I, I he poured himself all of himself in, into a role that just didn't have that much there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And you could say the same thing about Big Trouble in Little China, at, at least his character. There's not much to his character other than a lot of bravado that he can't really back up half the time. <laughs> Which I but, I found that to be probably the most endearing. Yeah, he is supposed to be the big butch badass in there, and he is the, the least of any of that. <laughs> And, and, his, and his sayings don't mean a thing. And his sayings really don't mean anything. <laughs> no. No, and, and you know where it shows that off uh, the most was like when when they're in a fight and he actually fires a gun, which clearly may have been for the first time. Yeah. And he actually <laughs> hits somebody. Yeah, and yeah. he actually looks stunned that, yeah. that that just went down. And the dude's like, is this the first time you've like, capped a guy or whatever it was that he plug, said? I think he said plug, yeah. Plugged plug the guy? Plug, yeah, yeah. Of course not. <laughs> Which he's absolutely lying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get the feeling Jack Burton is the type of person that if he gets into a fight, he'd lose the fight but walk away feeling proud of how bloody that guy's <laughs> knuckles were. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, th- this is the guy that talks up the the moment every single time, and now this time he actually ended up in the moment. <laughs> He's like, "What the hell just happened?" <laughs> uh, like you're pointing out, we're talking about Kurt Russell and how he is in this. Uh, he played that well. He is there. That that he is the he he is the fool in, in this one that just happens to be living the thing that he normally talks up, and he totally you totally get all of that from his portrayal. Yep. No, this was a fun one to, to watch. It's been quite a while since I've watched this one all the way through. I think it's probably one that you, 
you catch a scene or two when it happens to show up on some station somewhere. Um, but to watch it all the way through, it's probably been, I know it's been years. It may be a decade since I've watched it all the way through. So it was a lot of fun to watch it again. Yeah. Interest, interestingly enough, this is one I had watched all the way through not that long ago because I introduced my son to it. Uh, you mentioned that last time, yeah. How did I don't think you did, what did you? Uh, I don't think you mentioned what he thought of it. Oh, he uh, Jack took to it. Uh, one, he absolutely adored it, and uh, his thing is making what he calls his uh, origami, his finger puppets, and he immediately started doing the elementals in that. So he started making <laughs> he 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 made the little hat that went on rain and all of that. Yeah, no, he went nuts. He absolutely nice. adored that. And actually, you know what this film does, though? It it really makes me want to go watch some old kung fu films. Yes. <laughs> it, it makes me kind of long for, uh, what was it, um, Channel 64, back when it was WIII oh, here oh, in yeah. Cincinnati. And they would have like four-hour, five, six-hour block of kung fu cinema <laughs> on like a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Oh, I, I always love those. Any of the old Bruce Lee movies. uh the drunken master ones from Jackie Chan. Yeah, Love all those. the the flying guillotines yeah. and all the yes. Love all that stuff. Yep. Cheesy is all hell, and you just don't <laughs> care. That's not. That is really not the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just enjoy the unbelievable action sequences. In fact, usually, uh, if you ever had. Uh, any of them that I had to watch, sometimes I just skip the dialogue part just to get to the next fight scene. <laughs> like if well, they had dialogue, <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta rewatch these <laughs> every once in a while. Did you know there were actors in Godzilla movies too? What? What? No. <laughs> every, Come on, don't be silly. Every once in a while, the things that got stepped on did talk. <laughs> Well, I think that is going to do it for this one. I knew this one. That That's the problem. I think movies that you enjoy this much are the ones that are hardest to talk about because there's just nothing to talk about except throwing out quotes and, hey, you know what my favorite scene is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to get debate and, uh, and really kind of analyze uh, the whys and wherefores. This is just a big... This is a loving. <laughs> I think you. I think you could. We, you could sit down to this film and really tear it apart and criticize it, but you don't want to. No. <laughs> I don't want to. Like, like, like I said, uh, the orange orangutan. I could pick on it all day, <laughs> but I still love that it's there. <laughs> it's a shame this didn't do well in the theater because I think they would have had to have done a sequel. Can you imagine oh. the advent, the further adventures of Jack Burton? Oh, absolutely! Him just <laughs> yeah. stumbling, yeah. stumbling into something else, somewhere else in the country. I mean, aside from you wanted to know what happened with him and the orange orangutan that's uh, <laughs> hanging out on the back of his truck, um, Jack Burton, the TV series. Oh God! <laughs> it would have been a Kurt Russell's version of Every Which Way But Loose. <laughs> Thinking more like BJ and the Bear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, orange orangutan though yes <laughs> alright well let's put a uh, pin in this one thanks you guys for watching this at, well I, I guess this wasn't really a film that I needed to like beg anybody to watch no, no. <laughs> 
But I appreciate you guys coming on and, and yeah, like Tom said, just uh, participating in the love fest of Big Trouble in Little China. Now, maybe our next one we might be able to pick apart a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, Maybe a little bit. And, and just before I go, go, I just wanted to mention this. Because this is a mid-'80s film, it had all the makings, all the possibilities of being like that, the mid-'80s film that you remember loving as a kid and watching with modern eyes and going, oh, wow, that's, that's, this is, what? Yeah. Why did I like this? <laughs> so many films out of the 80s, I've, has, this has happened to me. I'm very thrilled that this is not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, next time we are going to talk about a film, again, a little earlier in Kurt Russell's career, uh, Escape from New York. I have never seen it. Really? Yeah. This will be a first time yes. viewing for you. Yep. Oh, this will be interesting. <laughs> yes, this will be yeah. interesting. Well, I really thank you for coming back and talking with us on this one in two weeks there, Floyd. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> this should be fun. Because <laughs> I guarantee it's not going to hold up real well. <laughs> <laughs> I know the premise of it, and that's about it. Uh, it's still going to be a fun watch, and I know it's going to be a fun conversation. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Any comments or feedback, send them to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com or join us on the Facebook group and post there. Always happy to hear from uh, anybody listening to the show. That is going to do it. Thank you very much, and we'll say goodbye. See you. Bye.